Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mercy that we have today. Lord, we come to you as your church. We come to you as your children, as the sheep of your pasture. Lord, as those you have gathered under your wing. We come to you gathered as the church, calling upon you seeking you, seeking your word, seeking your spirit, seeking yet another glimpse into the truth surrounding our Savior. Lord, looking today again for faith, looking to see our trust expand. Father, looking to see you glorified. Thank you for this time, Father, that we can come together. Thank you for this body. Thank you for the church. Thank you that you have designed the church as you would have her be. That you have made your son, Christ Jesus, the head of the church. That you have given us the work of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles. Lord, that you have given us structure. That you have given us function. Father, that you've made us to work together in unity so that you may be glorified even in the process, the unity and love of the church which you've made. We thank you. Father, today we come to you and we bring before you requests concerning your church. We bring before you, Father, the needs of those of us who are sick, those who are afflicted. Some of us, Father, are afflicted with age and the, the troubles of time and our bodies are broken and breaking down. Lord, we pray that you will give strength to those who are so afflicted, that you will teach us all in this process of life to turn our eyes to you and to trust in you for our maintenance and to trust in you for our very life and to take joy in what you give us to do on each day. Lord, for others who are sick with various uh, viruses and bugs that have been going around. So many of our members, Father, are ill. We pray that you will give healing, that you will make them well, that you will protect others in the church and others in their families from becoming sick. And Lord, that you will give us strength to serve you. And Lord, that those who are ill, that they would turn to you, even in their time of infirmity, that they would turn to you and look to you in trust to sustain them and to keep them, and to have you as their faith. Father, we thank you also for those of our congregation who are away. Lord, we pray that you will watch over them as many, many are traveling, some, Lord, to weddings, some to visit with family members, some just because there's some time off and they're away traveling for some time with their family. Lord, we pray that you will give mercy to us as we're away, many of us, from one another, and that with care you will bring back the family to this location and that they will be well. Father, we pray for those who are in difficult situations in life, and we pray that you will give
give them strength as they uh, look to you in making decisions about life, decisions about their futures, about jobs, about families. Lord, that they will look to you for wisdom and that they'll look to you for strength. Thank you this morning, Father, for this hour, for this time. Thank you that we have the privilege of looking into your word, that we're unhindered in it. Lord, give us your Holy Spirit. Give us your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here as a guest this morning, I am not the senior pastor of the church. I'm the assistant pastor of the church. And the senior pastor, his son is being married today in uh, Wisconsin. So today is, uh, if, if, you're, if you've been a member for long, you probably know Joseph, uh, Tim's son. And Joseph is uh, being married, I think it's at 6 o'clock, is that right? This evening? 4 o'clock? Do I hear 2 o'clock? Okay. So, what a joyful day for them. And be sure and remember them as you pray that what God will give them a good day and a wonderful day for their marriage, he and Heidi. We're quickly approaching the day when most Christians observe uh, or probably have some celebration or remembrance of the birth of Christ. And at that time, most of us have traditions that we follow, maybe family celebrations, parties, special meals. How many of you have had a special meal already? How many of you have had 16 special meals already? We celebrate uh, at this time of year, and we celebrate because there is good news. And the good news is Christmas presents, right? No. The good news is that we get a day or a week off work. No. The good news is the good news uh, cookies. I got a lot of C's here. Cookies, cards, cranberries, carols, candles, crafts, or culinary creations. That's all I had time for. No, these are not the good news. They're, they're proper instruments for our celebration, but they're not the good news. To find the good news of this time, we have to look to God's word. So look with me to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading in verse 5, and I'm going to read a lengthy section covering uh, the visitation of Gabriel to Zacharias and, to, and also to Mary. So please follow with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before the Lord in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'm going to end the reading there. What we've had is Gabriel visiting Zacharias, Elizabeth conceiving, Gabriel visiting and giving the message to Mary, and Mary conceiving, though not through natural means. And what follows in the in the subsequent verses and chapter, Mary visiting Elizabeth, Mary, Mary's visit so affecting Elizabeth and her unborn child that the child leaps in her womb. Mary sings her song. John is born. Zacharias prophesies. 
And then finally, Jesus, the Messiah, is born. And that's something that we'll be looking at more directly on Wednesday night when we have our Wednesday night, our, uh, our Christmas Eve service. The birth of Christ and the visit of the shepherds. I was thinking about the message of Gabriel to Zacharias, and I was thinking about him saying, I have been sent to bring you this good news. I like to give people good news. Do you like to give people good news? I like to be able to tell people that I've met their children and their children are a blessing to be around. If you've ever been told that your children are a blessing or were a blessing on a particular occasion, you'll know that as a parent that's very good news. I like to be able to run upstairs and tell my daughter there's no school because it's a snow day. Now that may not be good news for all parents. I don't know. But I know it's good news for my daughter. I loved the times when Annie and I were able to tell our parents that they were going to be grandparents. That was a time of delivery of good news. And again, when we told them that their children, their grandchildren were born, to call them on the phone and say, you have a grandson, you have a granddaughter, you have a granddaughter. It was fun. It's fun to bring good news. Do people usually believe you when you bring them good news? What if you were bringing someone good news and they chose not to believe what you were saying? What if when Annie and I had gone to our parents and told them that they were going to be grandparents, they would have said, sure, we'll believe that when we see it. Or that sounds pretty far-fetched to us. There would have been some incredible disappointment on our part. But in thinking about this idea of Gabriel's bringing of the good news to Zacharias and consequently of his bringing of the good news to Mary, and if you look back in the Old Testament, which we're going to do in a minute, his actual bringing of this news in a seed form to Daniel. And to think about Gabriel as he brings this to Zacharias and Zacharias' response, which is really a response of unbelief, it's very interesting how the angel comes back, how Gabriel comes back to Zacharias after his response. But I want to talk just for a minute about the angels that we have represented in the Bible, specifically the two angels in the Bible whose names we are given, and two if you do not count Satan as his, in his fallen state. There are two angels that we have given names for in the scriptures, and they are Michael and Gabriel. And if you remember Michael, he was the angel that we have uh, actually, I think, more incidents of, or at least as many incidents of his coming and giving messages or, being, or doing something as we do with Gabriel. Michael was, in Daniel 10, one who is called Israel's prince. In Daniel 12, he fought for Israel, it says. In Jude chapter 9, or I'm sorry, in Jude verse 9, it says that, that Michael uh, debated with Satan and contested with Satan over the body of Moses. In Revelation chapter 12, it tells us that Michael made war against the dragon and his angels and cast them out of heaven 
and there was found no place for them in heaven anymore. Now Gabriel has two references in the Old Testament, just like Michael does. And they're both in the book of Daniel, as is the case with Michael. The first reference is in chapter 8 of Daniel, where Gabriel is giving explanation to the meaning of a vision that Daniel had received about the ram and the goat and the evenings and the mornings. If you remember that vision, or if you don't, you can go back and and read through chapter 8 of the book of Daniel this afternoon. And at the end of the chapter, Daniel was still astounded, even after he had received the interpretation of the vision. It says that there is, he still said there is none to explain it. So there were still things about the vision that astounded him. And the second time that Gabriel appears in the book of Daniel is in chapter 9, the very next chapter, where after Daniel's prayer of confession, Gabriel comes and gives Daniel an explanation as to God's future and his uh, salvation of Israel and particularly the coming of the Messiah. In the New Testament, our references for Gabriel are both in Luke chapter 1. And the first is the visit to Zacharias and the second to Mary. I wonder about these two angels. I wonder, it's interesting that Michael's particular operations seem to deal more with the people of Israel and the Mosaic Covenant even to the point of the book of Revelation, and this is the one that's different. I mean, in Jude, he contests over the body of Moses. Okay, so he's obviously connected with work concerning Moses and work concerning the people of Israel. But why in Revelation, when he casts Satan out of heaven and the angels out of heaven, how does that connect him with the Mosaic Covenant specifically? I think it does. I think it has something to do with, with the fact that Christ, if Christ's life his holy life and his works and his death and his resurrection so destroyed the works of Satan through the fulfillment of the law, casting down the accuser. I think that was the, the power that was, that was necessary to the carrying out of the final act of seeing him removed from heaven as the accuser. Satan and the angels cast down to earth. No more to accuse the brethren. And I wonder, too, as I think about this, whether or not Gabriel's primary purpose has to do with Christ. As he stands before God, that he, his main operation in his existence is that of being the herald of Christ. Going to Daniel, going to Zacharias, going to Mary. introducing them all to the Messiah that was about to come. Now in Zacharias we have the last, really the last positive vestige of the Levitical priesthood recorded before Christ's appearance. And after that there are references to the Levitical priests, but I think they're pretty much negative or, or neutral concerning the office of the priesthood and and what was going on in Israel at the time. But Zacharias was a priest of the household of Aaron. He was descended from Eleazar, Aaron's third son. He was descended from Abijah. 
And that's where it brings us his genealogy in Luke chapter 1. At this time, the priesthood was about to disappear because the Father's final blessing, really, on the Levitical priesthood was the giving of John the Baptist to announce the coming of Christ. And we know that the priesthood was going to change because Jesus wasn't of the tribe of Levi, was he? We knew that the priesthood was going to change and we would have a new high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We knew that Jesus would be forever one priest interceding between fallen men and their creator and that this was very different from the Levitical priesthood in which Zacharias served. It was different in many ways. We would not need priests, multiple priests, any longer because we only needed them then because of the abundance of sacrifices that need to be made and the fact that they didn't live forever and so we had to have priests replacing priests so that we had that constant mediator. But not only did Christ come and provide one sacrifice once and for all, but he also act as, acts as the eternal priest. And so we now have to have another priest to mediate for us. And incidentally, I was doing some reading this week about uh, the change in the liturgy that happened in the Catholic Church. Are you all familiar with the year when they changed the Mass, 1969, and they allowed for non-Latin Masses to be read? And that's still a, uh, an activity or still an action of the Catholic Church that has scandalized a great deal of the Catholic Church because in their theological construct, they believe that there has to be priests. Priests still have to exist in the Catholic Church. Do you know why? If you have a Catholic background, you probably do. Priests have to exist because they still offer when they read the Latin Mass over the uh, elements and they believe that that reading causes the transubstantiation of those elements into the actual body and blood of Christ, they believe that the actual body and blood are again sacrificed. And so a priest in the Catholic Church is truly a priest because he is officiating over a re-sacrifice of Christ. And this is part of what Luther was totally against. And it doesn't make sense, especially to the fact that the priesthood in the Old Testament priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, was ending. And there didn't have to be sacrifices made again and again. But one sacrifice for all time. It's interesting, I was reading in this site a particular priest uh, who had written an article about the change in the Mass, and he was very opposed to it. But he had been deceased for about, he's been deceased for about eight years, and he lists, it lists his genealogy, and he's, he's listing out his apostolic succession so that he can show that he is in direct line to be able to be a priest to offer the sacrifice. And these were the very things that Martin Luther opposed and that the Reformers opposed. And they, oppo they opposed also the private masses, the private masses where the priests would go into their chamber with no gathering of the church around them, and they would read the Mass, and they would take of communion, 
And they would do it as if they were doing it for the church who was not there. Doing it in their stead. As the Old Testament priests would sacrifice for the people who may not actually be there. Zacharias was a Levitical priest and he was called upon to burn incense. The lot fell to him to participate in the daily incense burning. Only the Levitical priests at the time could offer the incense. It was a special mixture. If you remember, uh, Nahab and Abihu, Aaron's first two sons, were destroyed by God and judged by God because they didn't offer the correct type of incense. And it says that they offered a strange fire, and so they were destroyed. So the priest would offer a special, particular mixture of incense, and they had several different times when they gave incense, or they burned incense. They had morning and evening incense burnings at the trimming of the lamps in the temple. And I think this is probably where Zacharias was serving at the time. They also had the incense that was burned in conjunction with certain sacrifices and they had the incense that was burned on the high holy day. So Zacharias came into the temple and he stood before the altar of incense and he burned the incense before the Lord. And incense, interestingly, comes to represent in the scripture the prayers of God's people. And you see that in Psalm 141 if you want to read it and in Revelation 5. And it's interesting that at the time Zacharias was burning the incense, the people were outside gathered in prayer. And as a result, Gabriel appears because the time is right. Gabriel comes to Zacharias and he says, Your prayers are heard. You will have a son. Now, looking at Zacharias' response... How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Would you guess that Zacharias had prayed that prayer recently for a son? I don't think he had. I think it's a prayer that he had prayed maybe years before. And that's an interesting thing for us to consider as we pray prayers, knowing that God will answer his, our prayers when the time is right for him to answer them. But I would guess that Zacharias had prayed that prayer years before, and now the angel comes in when he's old, and he's advanced in years, and Elizabeth, his wife, is clearly beyond childbearing years, and the angel says, now you're going to have a son. Now your prayers have been heard. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will be a Nazarene, and he will be used to turn the Israelites back to God. He will be the forerunner to the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah. He will make ready a people for the Lord. He will turn the father's hearts back to the children. And of course, we're taking up in the first chapter of Luke's gospel with the fulfillment. We're on the threshold of the fulfillment of the promise that was given in the last chapter and last verse of the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, where the promise for the one who would come to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children. 
So Zacharias answers with a question, and he says to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And at this point, I think perhaps if if angels' voices change in tone, like our voices change in tone when we're a little bit upset, or we've been a little bit uh, offended, I think perhaps Gabriel's voice changed in tone. And if Zacharias was afraid of Gabriel when he first saw him, how much more so when the tone came and Gabriel says to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And all the more so if it's true that Gabriel is particularly the angel of the announcement, the angel heralding the Messiah. And he is particularly that angel in the book of Luke. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And then Gabriel goes to Mary. It's six months later. Or Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And Gabriel comes to Mary. And he says, You have found favor with God. You shall have a son, Jesus, the Son of the Most High, the one who will inherit the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His will be a never-ending kingdom. And just like Zacharias, Mary answers with, answers with a question. And she says to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? This, is, this should be an important statement for us all, for response to those people who say that there weren't any miracles in the Bible, and it was only because those people back in the old Bible times were ignorant about how things function. That they thought they were miracles. Mary knew that if she did not know a man, it was not normal for her to conceive a child. And her answer was, her question didn't come in the form of unbelief. Her question just came in the form of, that's not the natural process. How will that be? And so there's no rebuke of Mary. The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. In chapter 2, verses 8 and following, the angels appear also, not Gabriel, it doesn't say Gabriel specifically, but an angel, and then angels appear to the shepherds. And with the shepherds, when the announcement is given, there's no question at all. They're told where to go, and they said, let's go see. Let's go see. And, it, and then the section ends there in Luke 2, verse 20, verse 19 and 20, the shepherds glorifying God. And Mary again 
Do you remember what it says in verse 19? Mary's left there pondering all these things in her heart. So she starts off in the middle of chapter 1 pondering the message, the words of Gabriel, and she ends in in the end of chapter 2 pondering all the things that had gone on. Here's Mary, the servant of God, and she's just, it's just a wonder what's going on in her life. The good news, the good news is in the story fulfilled. We were singing this morning, and if you notice the, the songs that we were singing, if you look at your bulletin through the, through the order of service, and first we sang, Angels We Have Heard on High. Did you notice that? And then we sang, All Heaven Declares the Glory of the Risen Lord. And then we sang, What Child is This Who's Laid to Rest on Mary's Lap? And that was followed by what? O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. The story isn't complete, the good news isn't complete with just the birth of Christ. Because his entire purpose as he came was to fulfill the work that God had sent him to do, the salvation of God's people. And so the story is fulfilled as we look in other places in the scripture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 17. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and they've had some debate over who was baptized by who, and they wanted to be they wanted to know who was connected to who, so who had who had the higher spiritual uh, leverage, higher spiritual standing. And that was all nonsense to Paul. And uh, he wasn't happy with their posturing that way. And he says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, 
that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The weakness of God. This is the full story. There was a weak little baby born in a manger. That was the beginning of the fulfilled promise. That was the beginning of the good news. But the good news wasn't complete with the little baby born in the manger. The good news was complete with another thing that looks very weak to the people around us. To people whom God has not given eyes to see and ears to hear or hearts to understand. Another thing that looks very weak, our Savior, that baby that was born in the manger, growing up, the baby that... Paul was talking about when he says he was sent to preach the gospel. The baby that, that Gabriel was talking to Daniel about when he was telling him about the coming Messiah. The baby that Gabriel talked to Zacharias about when he was telling him that his son John would be the forerunner to the Messiah. The baby that Gabriel told Mary she would bear. That the angels told the shepherds they would see in the manger. That baby grew up and what happened? <coughs> Excuse me. He didn't take over the world. He didn't cast down the Roman Empire. He died on a cross. And that is wisdom. And that is power. And that is our salvation. And that is the good news. Because He died for us. Because He had the power in His perfect life to overcome death. And He was raised from the dead. Because we can trust in Him by faith and be saved. Salvation has come to us today from this same Christ who was crucified. You know, Zacharias was the most educated probably of the three groups of people that I talked about the angels coming to uh, in the New Testament. He was probably more educated than Mary as a priest. He was certainly more educated than those shepherds that were out on the hillside. And I think he had the hardest time with what was going on while the shepherds, they picked right up on it. This is God's wisdom. This is the good news for us today. That Jesus has come, that he was born as a man that he lived a sinless life 
that he led his disciples in the way that they should walk following after him, that he offered himself up finally to die for the sins of the world, that he died, that he was raised again from the dead, that we can trust in him and have salvation from our sins. And that is the good news. That is the good news for us. I'd like to sing our final song, Joy to the World. But before that, if Nick, are you still in here? Would you come up and maybe Carol and Rebecca, if they're here? I'd like us to re-sing one of the songs that we sang before we sing Joy to the World. That second uh, song. I can't find my... There it is. All heaven declares the glory of the risen Lord.